Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the newsroom of South Coast Today, this is ST Speaks. A podcast diving deeper into the news of the day and covering hot-button issues that matter to you. You're listening to ST Speaks. Welcome back to the Courtside with Kurt podcast. Alongside longtime Standard Times Courts and Cops reporter Kurt Brown, I'm digital editor Brennan Curie. How are you doing today, Kurt? Very well, and you? Pretty good. We're getting uh, kind of back into what's been one of the more traditional yes. Courtside with Kurt podcasts here, so we're just going to look at uh, one of the more egregious crimes of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're recording this on Thursday, October 11th, and we're going to be discussing the case of Hector J. Mejias, a 23-year-old New Bedford man who has been accused of raping a prostitute in the north end of New Bedford on Saturday night. That's correct. So uh, it, it, he's accused of picking up the woman in the area of Dean Street and Belleville Ave. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they drove to uh, the intersection of Coffin and Riverside, mm-hmm. uh, where, according to court documents, she agreed to perform oral sex for a fee. And uh, that's when, according to court documents, things got ugly. He became angry, punched her a few times in the back of the head, and then raped her while she told him to stop, according to court records. That's correct. So that, about that t- during the course of that, she was able to flee the car. That's correct. She fled the car. Um, he followed her. Again, all this is according to court documents, so that we don't have to repeat that. He followed her in his car, uh, a Honda Civic, uh, but she managed to elude him. Uh, a, a man uh, who was walking his dog uh, happened to see her. And he uh, noticed that she was quite distraught. Uh, the man asked to told the police he wished to remain anonymous, and he called it in. Uh, police responded. Um, they the the witness said that he saw the woman put her purse down and then go uh, in a driveway. Um, so the police arrived. They um, there they engaged the the woman. And um, they had a conversation, and she told him what happened. And she had, had a, she had a cut on her forehead. She did. And the uh, the reporting witness said she'd also been crying hysterically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after she describes to police what happens, uh, she shows him her cell phone, which has his phone number in it, and but just with a first name. That is and this correct. Is when she, they start doing a little detective work, she. Um she only knew him by his first name. Apparently, they had, according to her, and again, this is all in court documents, that uh, they had a conversation in his vehicle. Uh, he said that he has a lot of subloxin and asked her if she knew anybody who w- wished to buy it. And uh, she said, yes, I do. And then he called her cell phone so that she would have his number in her cell phone. Uh, while speaking to the police, uh, she remembered that she had his number uh, in her cell phone. She gave it to the police. The police ran it. It came back to Mr. Mejias. 
They were able to get his license photo, and she positively identified him from his license photo. So from that point, they went and uh, picked him up at his home, mm-hmm. uh, brought him to police uh, headquarters, and uh, he did deny the allegations yes. and denied having any knowledge of the victim. That's correct. Although his phone number was in her phone, so his phone number it's was in her phone. hard to deny a complete uh, knowledge of who, who she was, I guess. And I'm sure that they, if that's exactly what happened, she would have the either missed call or rejected call mm-hmm. from him more than just a contact in the phone. Mm. Um, now, she had also uh, said that he had shown her a gun that he carried in his glove compartment. That is correct. She uh, mentioned that to the police on Saturday when this incident occurred. She said that uh, he kept he keeps it in his glove compartment, and on that particular night, he showed it to them. Police asked him about it. Uh, uh, Mr. Mejias uh, said that he has a license to carry, and what they call an LTC, and uh, but he had the gun and it, uh, where he lives. Uh, it was a nine millimeters uh, Smith and Wesson M and P. That is correct, and uh, that was seized by police. That uh, was, and he, we're we're not sure from court documents whether or not he does have a license to carry. Right, that wasn't. Explain no. whether he actually does or not. He said he did. I, I believe he probably does, he does because right. he would have also been charged with oh, that. Oh, yes. Yeah. There you go. So they took That's him That's why back. you're the courts and cops guy, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, well, having made that mistake a couple of times, <laughs> I've learned my lesson. <laughs> so they took him back to police headquarters on Rockdale Avenue, and uh, that's where he told them that... Uh, uh, he he denied all the allegations, uh, even denied that he knows the, the victim. He came up with uh, some alibis um, about his whereabouts. Um, the police charged him, and <clears throat> he was held <clears throat> Saturday, Sunday. Monday was the holiday. He was arraigned in New Bedford District Court on Tuesday. Uh, Bristol County Prosecutor. Now, this is when it got a little interesting when I was reading the story here, it seemed. It it, it did. Uh, prosecutors from uh, Bristol County District Attorney Tom Quinn's office requested a dangerousness hearing. Uh, the judge, granted, Judge Saber, uh, granted it, felt that there was probable cause, and uh, so Mr. Mejias was held uh, Tuesday. He was brought back to court on Wednesday. Now it goes before a new judge, uh, Judge uh, Edward F.X. Lynch, and he presides at a dangerousness hearing. Uh, he finds Mr. Mejias dangerous, but um, he does not uh, believe that the Commonwealth has satisfied the requirement that no other, the only remedy to keep the public safe is incarceration. So he said... Do you see that often? I mean, where they rule them dangerous, but say that they are not holding them without bail? Uh, enough times. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a two-pronged uh, law that, one, you've got to find somebody dangerous, and two, you've got to prove that the only way to protect the public is through incarceration. So judges have conditions at their disposal. and In that case, uh, the judge invoked conditions. So those would be to wear a GPS monitoring device, mm-hmm. observe a curfew from 7 p.m. to 5 a.m., and stay away and have no contact with the victim. 
Uh, so the judge set bail at $1,000, and I think you actually have a little bit of new news here. He has made bail. Yeah, he has. Uh, additionally, the uh, judge set up what they call exclusion zones. Uh, the judge uh, ordered uh, Mr. Mejias to have no contact with the victim and stay away from her, and he's also set up exclusion zones, areas where areas of the city that... Mr. Mejias cannot go to. Um, I checked this afternoon. This is Thursday afternoon. And uh, Mr. $1,000 cash bail was posted for Mr. Mejias, and he was released from custody and will now abide by the conditions imposed by the judge. Additionally, the Judge Lynch gave him a um, bail revocation warning, which means that if he is rearrested while this case is pending, that uh, he could be held without bail for up to 90 days. Um, the next court date in this case is November 16th, in New Bedford District Court, for a probable cause hearing. Yeah, so the interesting thing to me is still that, that he's dangerous, but that he's still allowed out on bail. Mm-hmm. And so the judge is saying that this prevents him from being dangerous, is having a curfew and not being able to go in certain parts of the city. And that means we're all safe. The exclusion... Because the GPS monitoring device is not, as I understand it, is not live, right? It's not like, you know, there's a blinking dot at the police headquarters, and if he wanders into one of these areas he's not supposed to go or gets too near the victim's home, it beeps and, you know, they can, you know, send out a squad car... Sadly, there are too many people on GPS monitoring devices to be able to do that, and not enough uh, court officials to uh, monitor them. Yeah, so so it's not like the GPS device is like is proactively or actively notifying people where he is. They know when it's broken, when when the, it's cut off or when something. It's cut like. off. Yeah. But if he drove through one of these parts of the city, they wouldn't know it live. They wouldn't be right. Is that maybe I'm off on my understanding of that. <laughs> No, no alert comes up to them like, hey, uh, this, this guy is out on bail with a, has driven into the wrong part of the city. I believe that is correct. Yeah. Just, just seems strange that those hmm. uh, restrictions are, are enough, I guess, if you consider the man dangerous. I, I understand. Yeah. Just and my then, layman's point of view, I guess. Yeah. No, and, and I mean, there are, maybe this is a podcast for another day, but prosecutors have long argued that... Um, now, this dangerousness um, designation uh, exists for four months. Prosecutors have said, well, if you're dangerous, what makes you not dangerous after four months? Yeah. In Superior Court, it's six months that you should be dangerous for the entire pendency of the case. Mm-hmm. For example, like, I guess I'm thinking of, uh, so let's say someone's found dangerous because they've had multiple OUIs mm-hmm. or something. You can put a device on their car that they have to blow into before they can start the car. And that, you know, if they don't have other crimes, that kind of takes away the dangerousness of what they've been doing. In this case, it just doesn't seem like any, you know, anything is actually preventing him from going out and doing it again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just him abiding by his own conditions. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that was just, just a couple, two cents off the top of my head. That's perfectly okay. Um, yeah, so any, anything else, uh, any other wrinkles with this case, or is that... That's it for now. Just kind of wait until the probable cause hearing on November 16th will be the next... We, uh, 
I've tried to uh, contact his defense attorney several times. If you read the story online and listen to this podcast, you'll uh, notice that it is uh, one-sided. I have not been able to reach her. if uh, if we're able to reach her, we'll include her comments in the story. Absolutely. And as always, you can read that story on southcoasttoday.com. You can read all of Kurt's work there and in the print edition of the Standard Times. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Spotify, wherever you get. We're on Spotify now. If you like listening to your podcast on Spotify, uh, don't search Courtside with Kurt, though. Search From the Newsroom. South Coast today, and uh, you'll be getting all of his uh, these courtside with Kurt, as long as some other awesome podcasts right into your inbox each morning. And if you really like this podcast, uh, I post it on my Twitter account, which is uh, Kurt Brown underscore S C T. All right. Well, thanks, Kurt. Thanks, Brendan, and thanks to our listeners. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.